the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. On this Free for All Friday, if you'd like to join me on Free for All Friday, you can call our producer, Jim Nichols, right now at 303-873-1935, the number 303-873-1935, with your questions about God, the historical Jesus, about the Bible. We were talking a little bit about the occult with Dr. Doug Groteis, and I'm happy to con- continue to have that conversation on the occult, 303-873-1935. And of course, uh, for many people, the occult means the mysterious, the hidden, the dark arts or whatever. And of course, depending on how you define the term and then apply the term, um, you're going to have a different you're going to have a different view or a different conversation. So again, the dictionary defines a cult as hidden or secret or mysterious or pertaining to the supernatural. So in, in a, in a broad sense, uh, many people will use the term to broadly apply to the supernatural, but guess what? There's a lot of things in the Bible that are supernatural, but typically when we're using the term and when we use the term, we mean practices of trying to access supernatural information through forbidden methodologies. So that means astrology, witchcraft, fortune-telling, Magic, both black and white magic, Ouija boards, tarot cards, spiritism, parapsychology, and Satanism. So usually when we're talking about that, these are some of, of the things that we're talking about. And again, the revival of what's been called paganism. And the word pagan is interesting in and of itself because it comes from a Latin word, Paganus, which means a country dweller. And so it came to mean a heathen. Originally, it meant a person who lived on the heaths. And so the derogatory nature of the word originated from Roman times when the urban Romans used it as a term of insult for those who lived on the outskirts of their empire. So imagine the the heathen were the people who lived, according to the Roman Empire, outside of civilization. The word was then adopted by the church and applied to people who were outside of Christianity. So pagans were considered ungodly and immoral simply by virtue of the fact that they weren't 
Christians. And so today, pagans will often identify themselves as people who follow or who are adherents of um, of traditional religions um, or what they would call ancient traditional religions. So when they're talking about ancient traditional religions, they're talking about witchcraft or Wicca or nature worship or, or polytheistic, if you will. But again, Margot Adler writes, quote, I use pagan to mean a member I, I use pagan to mean a member of a polytheistic nature religion, such as the ancient Greek or Roman or Egyptian religions, or in anthropological terms, a member of one of the indigenous folk and tribal religions all over the world. And so, again, it's important that you have your definitions right. And so some people would call these native religions or native traditions. But if you'd like to join me on the program again, it's 303-873-1935. And I see a kind of a crossover and and a growing, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a growing curiosity and embracing of extraterrestrial or, or the idea not of necessarily spirit beings, but what what people who adhere to what I would call UFO religions, they might believe that there are extraterrestrials who they can communicate with who give them guidance and information. Now, obviously, there are people who believe there are spirit beings who can give them guidance and information or interdimensional beings um, who can give them guidance or or information, and hence what we were talking earlier with Dr. Doug Grotice about channeling. And so occult practices and psychic phenomenon has captivated millions of people worldwide. And again, this isn't limited to ignorant people or uneducated people. And I remember as a very young man, as early as the seventh and the eighth grade, I was reading books about parapsychology. I was reading books about reincarnation. I was reading books about um, what, what were called paranormal events in order to try and figure out what was happening. And so there are several factors that make the occult fascinating to everyone even in an age of technological and scientific advance. And so this is interesting to me as well for the person who's toying with the idea that they might be able to create a technological device. Um, but, but again, people have doing, been doing this for thousands of years, whether you're talking about the entrails of a chicken or or uh, tea leaves or tarot cards or in modern times Ouija boards remember these are these are physical objects that are in part believed to be able to impart mystical or supernatural information 
So, again, it makes perfect sense to me that occult practices might begin with simple curiosity. And so many people become involved in what they might consider harmless practices out of simple curiosity, which leads to mental and emotional distress and sometimes even demonic, I'm going to use the term affliction. So for many, many people who, what, what, what Dr. Doug Grotice talked about, experiment in this way, they find themselves going deeper and deeper and deeper into the occult, the supernatural, wisdom literature, and then the appeal of, of what Dr. Doug Crotice um, hinted at, and that was the soft occult, where, remember, many, many people think that they can get information from a supernatural source. But what's the information they're looking for? Well, the information they're looking for, in part, many times, is the truth about themselves. This is Gino Geraci. 303 873 1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303 873 a couple of days ago, it might have been even yesterday. Uh, Dr. Jim Dennison wrote, you know, he writes at the Dennison Forum, and, and I'm so grateful for his work that he does at the Dennison Forum and, and at ChristianHeadlines.com. But he was writing about Elon Musk's new brain implant, the Neuralink. And I was at the Apple store today, and I didn't get a chance to uh, look at their new technology. But um, this Neuralink is very, very interesting. And people are obviously commenting both on the benefits, but also the dangers. And um, Jim Dennison at the, at the Daily Article yesterday wrote that um, he said in his in his article at christianheadlines.com and also posted at the Denison Forum, he said, imagine reading or listening to this article by controlling your technology with just your thoughts. No more keyboards, no more touch screens. You could even control a video game with your mind. And he, of course, writes stuff of science fiction. He writes, no, it's actually now science fact. And then he asks probably the hard question right away, the difficult question, the puzzling question, um, the annoying question, if you will. It could be annoying because you want so much, 
to look at the powerful and positive applications of this for for quadriplegics and, and paraplegics. And so he asks the question, is this a good thing? Now, obviously, I don't think Elon Musk would develop the chip, the brain chip, unless he thought it was going to result in the flourishing of of humanity. One of the problems that the critics are having with this Neuralink technology, they're suggesting that it's going to be something not for the masses, but for the elite. And so he goes on, Jim Dennison writes, that Elon Musk announced that his brain chip startup Neuralink has implanted a device in the first live human subject. The device itself is about the size of a quarter. It's designed to interpret a person's neural activity so that they can control external devices with their thoughts. Is this a good thing? He goes, let's look at how medical ethicists consider the topic and take four biblical steps. Now, it's interesting because I've had uh, Dr. Jim Dennison on the program, and we've had lots of conversations. And one of the conversations is his area of expertise, which is medical ethics. And he also serves on the board of a major hospital in America. And so he... It's interesting that the technology is being called telepathy. So um, the, the, the chip is currently in clinical trials. It's open to patients who have quadriplegia due to ALS or a spinal cord injury. And so Jim Dennison again writes, I serve as the resident scholar for ethics with a Christian healthcare system. He writes, it's in that context I can give you or I can tell you that medical ethicists consider topics like today's conversation in light of four factors. The first factor is benevolence. That is the obligation to act for the benefit of the patient. The second he calls non-malfeasance, and that is, of course, the obligation not to harm the patient. And then the third thing is autonomy, which is respect for the individual rights and dignity. And then the fourth is justice, the responsibility to treat all persons and patients fairly and equitably. So he goes on and he talks about these things in as it applies to the Neuralink technology, benevolence, non-malfeasance, autonomy, and justice. And all of this is very, very interesting. Because when you ask and you answer the question, what's the benefit, what's the detriment? And so under the category of benevolence, Jim Dennison writes, Experts report that brain-computer interface, it's called Big B, Big C, Big I, brain-computer interface technology, such as the Neuralink brain chip, has a wide range of potential applications, especially for those with disabilities. So brain-computer 
interface has already helped paralyzed patients control robotic arms, move a cursor with their thoughts. A recent trial even allowed a person to control a video game this way. So, again, think of a different kind of a technology that was used by um, Stephen Hawking, who used light and eye movement to for his eye to uh, look at a keyboard to spell out words, create sentences, and then paragraphs. So this would be a direct interface for words, sentences, paragraphs. And so under non-maleficence, brain-computer interfaces come with typical surgical risks. And according to Dr. Jim Dennison, that the research seems to indicate that one of the downsides is that it could trigger epileptic attacks. So there is the problem of ensuring that the implant continues to function over time and that there's significant risks to patients if their brain-computer interface-enabled technology fails. So imagine with a brain-computer interface wheelchair failing as it's crossing a street. So scientists at the University of Austin, Texas, recently utilized MRI scans with artificial intelligence tools to create a kind of non-invasive brain-computer interface that was able to decode the participant's thoughts. Again, remember, this technology is being called telepathy. And so Dr. Jim Dennison offers this. He asks the question, with such mind-reading technology one day, Would it enable, well, advertisers to manipulate your mind? Will governments be able to use brain-computer interfaces for surveillance or for interrogation? Would you be able to upload or download with this interface? Would it be a kind of Bluetooth technology that can link to already existing hardware, or is it going to be something even more fantastic? And remember, this is the beginning. We're not even a year or a decade into this technology. How will it unfold? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Am I talking about the uh, Neuralink technology of Elon Musk, his new brain implant, and uh, Dr. Dr. Jim Dennison's uh, daily article and uh, that's featured at ChristianHeadlines.com and at the daily article. He was talking about some of the responses to this, and he was talking about from a medical ethical standpoint about what will it do as far as benevolence or help 
non-malfeasance or non-maleficence. Um, non-maleficence is the, uh, it, it won't harm. Autonomy, respect for dignity, and then justice. Uh, the responsibility to treat all people and patients um, fairly and equitably. So he, he talks about um, some of the the realities that that they've utilized. Uh, scientists at the University of Texas utilized fMRI scans with artificial intelligence tools to create a non-invasive brain-computer interface that was able to decode participants' thoughts. And so Denison brings up the subject, will this mind-reading technology one day be able to serve advertisers or governments to manipulate people's minds or will? Will governments be able to use it for surveillance or interrogation? And then he talked about autonomy that um, that a brain-computer interface device could significantly enhance a disabled patient's ability to function with dignity, but that it might also affect the patient's decision-making process and result in inappropriate actions. And then he talks about justice. Brain-computer interface devices need to be accessible, without financial barriers and utilized in ways that don't prevent their users with unfair advantages over others. What does that mean? Well, um, that they could become a kind of, dare we use the term, transhuman, cyborg, enhanced normal abilities. Think of it like earbuds with real-time translation capacities. Think about bionic lenses that record video or that exceed normal ocular abilities. Think of a bionic lens that has built-in night vision. Um, And so Dr. Jim Dennison points out that brain-computer interfaces are at this moment in the earliest stages of development. And I hinted at that earlier, that these are at the earliest stages of development. And so what might that mean? And um, he, he basically says, but it's not too soon to take steps to ensure that such development proceeds in ethically appropriate ways. And then he points out this, and I think it's right. He says, we live in a post-truth culture that rejects objective morality, coupled with its capitalistic economy that privileges technological advancement for profits. Now, when I was at the Apple Store today, I'm thinking this device, this ocular device that Apple has literally just released is going to be about... Well, if memory serves me correctly, it was about $3,500. So I didn't even attempt, I did not even attempt to to buy one or to look at one or to even take one for a test drive. But they were offering test drives, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, he's he, But Jim Dennison writes, how confident are you? 
that our secularized society will be able to harness the potential of brain-computer interface while preventing the devastation that they could one day wreak. So imagine, again, some of you are old enough to remember pre-internet, uh, pre-computers, a time before social media. How is it going to change the way we live? And Jim Dennison quotes founding father Samuel Adams, who warned, quote, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. He therefore is the truest friend of the liberty of his country who tries to promote, who tries most to promote its virtue. Now pause and think about what Sam Adams said so long ago. Will the Constitution ensure virtue? No. What happens when people are individually and then universally corrupt? Well, guess what? The law doesn't serve as a restraint because they're going to do what they want anyway. And so Jim Dennison points out, There's four biblical steps to take to promote a country's virtue. He says, number one, destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Think biblically so you can act redemptively. That's good advice. Think biblically so you can act redemptively. Second, he says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He's quoting Jude, verse 3. Use your influence to declare and defend biblical truth and morality. Number three, speak the truth in love. With humble compassion as you help others experience God's best. Speak the truth in love. This is the instructions that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And then he says, number four, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. He's quoting Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He said, your kingdom assignment is not complete until you are in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Your kingdom assignment is not complete until you are in heaven. I think that's an interesting statement for so many different reasons, particularly for the person who's wondering, is there anything important for me to do? Is there something important left for me to do? How interesting. He quotes the British statesman Edmund Burke. He says, quote, 
Nobody makes a greater mistake than he who does nothing because he could only do a little. How interesting. How interesting. Another way Another way another way to say that would be it is a big mistake to think that doing little doesn't matter. He basically says because nothing remains nothing. Interesting. 303-873-1935. That's my number if you want to join me on the program. And by the way, I will be in Longmont this weekend. I know there's snow coming our way, but I plan to be at Grace Bible Church in Longmont on Sunday. Maybe I'll see you there. This is Gino Teresi. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Hi. Um, Gino, um, do you remember back in 2015 when um, uh, the military was running a program called Jade Helm 15 or Jade Helm 2015, I think. Um, I'm, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. It's where the special forces were running through um, mostly the southern states, but it even came into Colorado too. Um, this, uh, these operations between 11 at night and 5 in the morning um using night vision of course and but they were the jade helm was joint assisted deployed execution i think um it was the jade part of it um and what it was was our military was being commanded by ai and and so um and the purpose in it, the purpose for its development was so that um, AI could strategically act immediately on demand um, to give orders to boots on the ground. It, it was a program that they were testing and, um, and practicing with. And so, and there was, there was a big, um, uh, reaction uh, by the governors of states, especially Texas. Texas. Um, I am remembering this. Yeah, I am okay. remembering this. I am. He deployed his this. National, Texas National Guard during that time because he was seeing it as a government threat, um, a federal government threat for takeover, and um, and so there was pushback that they experienced through it. The reason why I'm bringing that up is during that time, it was exposed that the military already was de deploying, using, had already deployed over 200 software programs of using AI for command um, operations. Um, 
uh, two boots on the ground or ships on the sea or or um, planes in the air, right? Um, and so so what I'm getting at, what I'm working toward after listening to you, you know, for the past half hour, um, is that isn't that interesting? Yeah, on the the connection between this and the Neuralink. Um, yeah, because, because right. of consciousness, right? Along, you know, in that process, conscience is not activated by AI <laughs> um, unless well, it's programmed and, in. Well, and again, so so that's the, the one of the million-dollar questions. So when you talk about conscience or will, so you've got a physiological component. And then, um, so imagine, I'm going to just use a crazy illustration. Are you ready? Imagine you're opening your eyes, okay, and you're seeing something. Maybe you're talking to me on the phone right now, and you're looking around, and you can see stuff. But imagine if you tried to willfully make your eyes shut down. But you've got them open, but you don't want them to see anything. Is that possible? And I think that the answer is no. So, so. So you've got bodily functionality. And so th- this is the claim. This is the claim of Elon Musk. Basically, what Elon Musk says that the company on the Neuralink is focusing on two applications, restoring vision, even for people who are born blind, and then restoring full bodily functionality to people with severed spinal cords. So the big oh, question... Yeah, no, no, this this really is interesting because it's it's a part of the brain um, that has nothing to do with it. Th- this is involuntary. This is the involuntary portion of your brain where you breathe and you blink and you do all of those things. What was interesting to me, too, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out to you, Musk was asked if he would get the implant himself. Do you know what he said? Yes. He said, yes, I plan to get this myself. Yeah, I heard that. So isn't that That's, fascinating? But then if they can do that, give sight to the blind or or give a motor Make skill. the lame to walk. Let, let's use biblical terms even. Yeah. Give sight to the yeah. blind and the lame can walk. And walk. Can then they command um, a human, a human uh, body to pick up a gun and shoot somebody? Well, see, the, the, so now we're back to what I was talking about with Jim Dennison, and 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 again, what he, what he's talking about malfeasance and and human right. dignity, and how do right. you respect the autonomy and dignity of the human being in this process? And will they? Right. So, okay. So let's, can I ask you something else? Sure. In scripture, of course, we know that there is, um, that the beast gives life to the image of the beast. And, um, and so I think we were all pretty much agreed that the image of the beast is the supercomputer that um, uh, AI technology uh, will be used 
to make decisions for mankind. Well, you, you, well, not necessarily. Not everybody is agreed on that. So ju- to your point, you ju- immediately to your point. Uh, so there's a there's an element of your point that I think everybody does agree on, and that is whatever this image is, it's not biologic. It mm-hmm. okay. It's an image. <laughs> It's an it, okay? So I don't yeah. know if computer is the right word, um, a, a non-human intelligence. But, again, is it made from something other than biologics? Or is it something that's made um, from both biologics and and technological construction? So what what's interesting to me is we're not told. Um, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details about what this image of the beast is, except for that that expression. Whatever it is, it's not alive as you and I understand life. But then the false prophet, quoting what you just quoted, Revelation thirteen fifteen, has the power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak. Now, that seems remarkable. In other words, whatever this thing is, now it breathes, and now it speaks. And it can give commands. <laughs> well, but but again, you know, not to get too deep into the woods, but you're exactly right. The moment that it can speak, well, we have to ask and answer the question, what does it have to say? What does right. it have to say? What what's the What's the message? that it has. The Bible says, it says, worship me. And if you don't, yeah. I'm going to kill you. Yes. So, so, um, but then, then uh, what's involved is the mark of the beast, correct? And in the mark of the beast, anyone who takes it, we're told in Revelation 14, ends up in the lake of fire. It doesn't sound like there are any conditions it's on right and but but again it's fascinating you know i used to think that this was a statue that has the appearance of life like a holographic overlaid image but now yeah now i do not know (laughs) hey i gotta go but thank you for your thoughtful call hey enjoy your weekend go to church Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.